Hello and welcome to another episode of our Troll Expeditions podcast. Today we'll be exploring one of our ice caves in depth, thus providing you with all the necessary information on when, how, what and where exactly. Our topic today is Katla Ice Cave, the only ice cave available for visits all year round, and as far as I know, the only one within a relatively short distance driving from Reykjavik. To tell us all about it and a bit about his interesting life is Svenny, our glacier guide, search and rescue veteran, professional radio host, and a fellow podcast director. Pleasure to have you over. Hello there, Svenny. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, it's an honor to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me. I'm very glad. I've been uh, waiting for quite a while to have you over, so now it finally happened and you're with us, and so that's just great. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah, yeah. You have been trying to get me on the show, and I've been (laughs) quite busy. You've been quite busy, (laughs) and you've been, I think, avoiding the radio contact with our listeners. (laughs) (laughs) You can say that. But now you're here, so... Thank uh, you for inviting me. I'm going to uh, ask you some questions now, since you're there. Yeah, Yeah, shoot, 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 shoot. I love questions. (laughs) I answer questions every day. (laughs) <laughs> For those of our listeners who want to get to ice caving part immediately, I'll be leaving a timestamp in the podcast description. Uh, but for now, I got some personal questions to Svenny. Uh, you had a very interesting life. First of all, like I mentioned, you've been a long-standing member of Icelandic Search and Rescue, correct? I was. I started very young uh, in the rescue team. I was basically brought up there. I was uh, 16 years old when I started it. Usually they don't take a member in and until they are 17. Until <laughs> oh, 17, so you started really early. Yeah, yeah. So you say you've been brought up by the search and rescue yeah, members. Yeah, you, c- you can say that, you can say that. By Sigvatur, maybe. Uh, Sigvatur, yeah, S- I remember Sigvatur. Uh, he was actually in Flupjörgunasveitin, like we call it, in a different uh, part of it. But yeah, I remember him. He's an amazing guy. He's one of the founders of Search and Rescue, Yeah, He is, yes, he is. And uh, the experience that this guy has and his knowledge is unbelievable. And uh, very often when I need something, I call Sigvatur. And he is so knowledgeable about just the island generally. And he he is so willing to give. And that is one of the quality that most of the guide in uh, Troll have. They are so much willing to give information. And we are constantly learning. And that is the beauty of being in part of this team. I agree with you completely. That's also something that I love about our guides and Sigvatur specifically as well. <laughs> yeah. And by the way, for our listeners who don't remember or maybe don't know who Sigvatur is, there is another podcast episode, one of the earlier ones, about hiking to the tallest summit of Iceland. And that one is where we interview Sigvatur. So he's like a mountaineering legend in Iceland, and uh, he'll tell you all about it over there. I'm uh, going to keep on asking you questions then. Which department were you in Björkunasveit in the search and rescue team? Most of my career, or, the, or 13 years, was with a dog. So uh, I had a search and rescue dog that I trained. And that was the biggest thing that I actually did in the rescue team. But I did everything. I went the whole circle, mountain rescue, glacier rescue, cars, snowmobiling. <laughs> I mean, I did it all. But I actually did end it with 13 years with a dog in the rescue team. And that was, I would say that dog taught me more about just general life that I taught him. I learned so much from the dog. Very interesting. Yeah. There's a Netflix documentary about the life lessons from the octopus. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah. I guess yeah, yeah. you have the life lessons from the dog. Yeah. And yeah. tell me what breed of the dog is it? It was a, a yellow Labrador. Max was his name. And it was an amazing dog. I mean, he was so, just so smart. It was unbelievable how I told him to do something and he did it. 
So we had this communication between us that was just beyond. It was something akin to telepathy or what do you say? Yeah, well, like you, very you, heavy intuition. Yeah, it was very deep relationship that we had and we had this trust between us and he knew his role and I knew my role and we never stepped over that line. It somehow it just became a good team. It's, it was just a teamwork. It sounds incredible to have like a very well-working, well-oiled team with another species, like yeah, a dog, yeah. right? Yeah, you can say it was a, a machine that just did work. I mean, it took me thousands of hours to train the dog. Oh my God, we were constantly, constantly training. Yeah, when you saw the dog finding a person, live or dead, I mean... You were so proud <laughs> of you. <laughs> and probably happy if the person was alive, of, of course. Of course, of yeah. course. Yeah. I have a dog myself. I got a border collie mixed with Icelandic Shepherd. Oh, yeah. yeah so yeah. apparently they're extremely smart. Yeah. It's very yeah. beautiful, very yeah. handsome dog. And he's extremely smart. Like, yeah. it doesn't take him long to reach, you know, an understanding of a trick. Yeah, yeah. Like, at all. Yeah. So yeah. we just taught him party tricks and stuff like I, that. I, I also have a dog today. I have a black lab, 18 months old now, puppy training her just to be a dog, just my panion uh, in the mountains, because that is something that I do when I have a free time. I go up in the mountain, mountain skiing, cross-country skiing, and, and hiking, and stuff like that. So my life is basically up in the mountain. Dogs are great hikers. Oh, man. I, the four legs really yeah, give you a lot just, of advantage. They're just so good companions. They are loyal to you, and it's fun to have them around. I love having dogs. So I'm curious, how many call-outs does your department uh, in um, search and rescue usually get on average? Of course, I am retired today. I retired a couple of years ago from the search and rescue, but the calls are thousands of calls uh, over this long period of time. Many of them quite difficult. I remember one year that was particular, really, really heavy. It was 1995. The big avalanche year. And that was a big trauma, basically. Where was the avalanche happening? In Flatere and, and Sulavik, that is up west uh, of the island. So uh, typical places, really. Yeah, it is a typical places for avalanches. And we are always constantly worried about this. There were 11 months between these big... Many people died in this. So it was uh, it was rather heavy. And I never forget the year 1995. Some people say that Iceland should not be inhabited because of the amount of natural disasters <laughs> that we experience, right? I get this question very often. How can you live on an island like this? This is just in my DNA. I mean, uh, even though mountain is blowing up, avalanches, floods, uh, extreme weathers, this is just a normal day at the office. This is nothing that we are afraid of. If something happens, we evacuate, we wait, we see what happens, and we go and rebuild. There is no panic situation. Everybody knows what to do. We have a very good rescue team here in every small town in Iceland. So everybody is rather safe here. It's not like this is happening on a daily basis, even though we have more than 200 earthquakes every day. But yeah, I mean, this island is just a one big giant volcano. But the beautiness of it, it's magical. I think that here in Reykjavik, really living a city life, we often forget about the natural disasters that happen outside yeah, or yeah. we just about yeah. see them in the TV. Yeah. But then another question continues. 
What about those people like, let's say, in uh, Flattery? I mean, they are very close to a danger and Flattery still persists as a community. Yes, we actually did build up a fence, avalanches fences there, and we put millions of Icelandic kroner to build that up so the town is now safe to be there. Okay. And after this 95 disaster, we went uh, really, really deep into other towns also around Iceland, building these fences and make it more safe. But it is just like normal in life. Nothing is 100%. I mean, there is more possibility having a car accident than having something in the nature. Of course, yeah. yeah. That's a big possibility, of yeah, course, yeah. always. I am very often take people to the recent eruption yeah, site in Geldingadalskos, yeah. the yeah. one on Reykjanes. Yeah. And uh, I often tell my clients as we're hiking that uh, usually in Iceland, it's rather thrown upon to build communities around active volcanoes, rather yeah. in we keep a safe distance from them. Sure, we have infrastructure, let's say geothermal power plants or maybe highways, etc. Yeah. But usually there is very little in terms of houses or maybe human abodes in uh, like a closest vicinity yeah. or sort of in a direct impact zone of a volcano, well, let's yeah. say. And I always yeah. say with one exception, yeah. and that's on Vesmanayash, <laughs> where they live right next to a yeah. very tiny volcano, yeah. but it is there yeah. and it erupts every couple of hundred years. And it's years. active. Yeah. We have 32 volcanic zone in Iceland. Basically, what I'm telling is that Iceland is just like a giant volcano. We are monitoring every system. And what we are monitoring is how the expansion in the mountain is, how it's lifting up. Uh, gases that are coming from the mountain or rivers. Earthquakes, uh, for instance. And when we take all these data together, we can say, yes, something is happening underneath this mountain. We cannot tell you exactly the timing of it, but we actually put like a colored flags on the mountain, like it is on mountain Hekla today. I mean, it has an orange flag on it that tells you that it would not be a very good idea to hike that mountain because in 2000, when the eruption happened there, we had about 25 minutes to uh, evacuation. And then the mountain just blew up. It was there somebody there on top? No, 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 no. Nobody was on the top. But of course, there are farms uh, around. So we were actually very worried about that. Uh, luckily, it was just a, a small eruption that came on the south slopes of the mountain. There is more tension in the mountain today than was 2000. That tells you that we have less than 10 minutes to evacuate the area in Mountain Hekla. But that's Mountain Hekla. But it's very remote. I mean, Mountain Hakla is known for being a very aggressive mountain if you go into the history of it. Especially recent history, I think in 20th century. The first and foremost example that I can find about people being on the summit while it was erupting is actually taking us back to Sigvatur again, because I think they were actually on a search and rescue training on a summit, summit yeah, in, yeah, the 70s, I in the 70s. In the 70s, yeah, yeah, in the 70s, yeah. When yeah. it started erupting, yeah, and they yeah. had to find a way down safely, yeah. without being literally blown away to smithereens or burnt down by the lava. Two years ago, I, I was up on that uh, mountain with a couple of my friends. I don't take customers up there, of course, because of safety, but I had a couple of my friends and we had a little sneak peek of the peak. And when we were up there, uh, there was a 3.4 on the Richter scale. <laughs> right? Did you feel it? Oh, man, everything was shaking and we were standing on the top. And I told them, guys, I think it is time to... <laughs> 
to go down. <laughs> it was exactly the right moment. It, it was like, the right moment. It was a hard stopping yeah. moment right there. This has happened to me a couple of times. Uh, I've been in an area talking about actually earthquakes and uh, the volcanic activity on the area when everything starts to shake. It uh, also happened to me in Raptinuskir. I was 800 meters from the cabin. and That is in Landmannalöger. <laughs> in Landmannalöger, yeah. yeah. So another yeah. beautiful yeah. area out oh there on man. the highlands of Iceland oh for our God. listeners. Yeah. Uh, also great place to visit. I, I used to do a lot of hiking there. I basically did live up there, did lots of hiking. Lögover uh, Trail and Strutstigur and more area there. That, that is an area that is actually mind-blowing thing. Is it your favorite place in Iceland to hike? Yeah, it's one of uh, one of my my favorite places. Yes, I would say so. The colors in the mountains there and geology history there is just beyond. I really love the magic of the forest in Thorsmörk. Oh yeah, and and good news about that because since we started to plant the native trees there, the trees are coming up there uh, as it used to be in the beginning of of this island. Basically. Spontaneously. Spontane- yeah, yeah. 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 And do you have any hand in that, in planting trees? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Last year, me and my girlfriend, we actually did plant about 10,000 trees. Wow. Yeah. That's a lot. Yeah, that is a lot. Yeah. Can you tell me something about the statistics? Like, where are we and how far do we have to reach the goal? Oh, my God. Yeah. This is a big question. I don't have any numbers, basically, but we have to speed up. Even though we have been planting trees constantly since 1980, when we did really put money and effort into it. But of course, we always can do more. But we are doing a lot. And there are forests now coming up in Iceland. But the thing about that is that there is a policy that we have here to have it under control. So we don't want you to spread it around like crazy, but we want to have it under control. But of course, we could do more. Basically, going more green... In Iceland, I would like to see my government go further, even though we are doing it. I want to see Iceland as the greenest country in the world, and we can do that. And how we are separating our garbage, uh, planting trees, fossil fuels, and so on and so on. I want to see Iceland to get way greener than we are, even though we are green, but we can go way further. We're very green. I mean, we're one of a few countries that are actually... 100% sustainable when it comes to production of electricity. Yeah. No, but uh, coming back to the trees still. So what I know about is like, I think up until this point, it's about 2.5% of the surface is now wooded again. Yeah, yeah, about, yeah. yeah. And then I remember that the mark was to go up to 4% by 2030. That could be right, yeah. But now I think that we only have eight years left. And it seems like a bunch of, you know, yeah. percents to go up yeah. to, to that, to yeah. like 4%. That's quite a lot. That is quite a lot. Yeah. 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 We are a little bit behind. Mm-hmm. That is a fact. And, and we should do more. And we should have people coming in, the Icelanders, just planting trees like crazy. We should do that. Because this island, if you go into the beginning, this was a green island. It was. From tip to toe. 30% of the land was yeah. wooded, actually. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah. one third of the land yeah. was completely covered by forest. Yeah. 
Yeah, and some of those trees, I suppose, were quite tall. If you uh, see the, some birches, yeah, like around yeah, here in the city, yeah. sheltered from the wind, yeah. they grow up to like what ten, twelve meters or yeah. so. Yeah, and there was a tree now that was three thousand years old, coming from Solheimajökull, that they found in the glacier. That was actually a quite a find because that is telling us how tall the trees actually were here in the beginning. And how tall was it? I don't know, actually. I don't know how tall the tree was, but they are examining it in, mm-hmm. in the University of, mm-hmm. of Iceland. And I haven't seen any result from that, but yeah. maybe I should look it up. We're going to be waiting for the results then. <laughs> in the meantime, you said something about the emissions as well, and I want to throw my two pennies in here. So we got those big aluminum smelters, and they produce quite a lot of emissions for such a small country. I think we have exceeded twofold the Paris agreements, yeah. since I remember we have signing them. Yeah. And so this is usually connected to our heavy industry. Now, there is a way out, I think, mm-hmm. and that's what I always talk about, and that's hydrogen. Yeah. We already have one hydrogen production facility in Vokar, so that's on Reykjanes. And I think that quite a couple of our public buses in Reykjavik actually have been running on hydrogen oh. for like last 10 yeah. or 15 years or yeah. something, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. And so I think this is just used for producing hydrogen for those buses. Yeah. But I think with the onset of the new technology globally, as in hydrogen engines, not sure if you knew that, but 11% of the world fleets, actually, they ride on hydrogen. Mm. The ships, the big freighters that run around the oceans, mm. 11% of them already run on hydrogen. Yeah. And the Norwegians, they know it, so they are <laughs> yeah. diverting from oil, oil yeah. and expanding quite a lot, yeah. especially in the north coast of Norway, yeah. into hydrogen production. Yeah. And I think we should absolutely follow being a green country, yeah. as in with yeah. green electricity. Yeah. We can use this green electricity yeah. in order to produce uh, green hydrogen. Yeah. So completely eco-friendly yeah. hydrogen. Yeah. 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 It, it, I totally agree with you because lots of this pollution come from the fishing boat. We are a fishing nation. Our biggest industry here was fishery before the tourism kicked in here in 2013. Yeah, we should just in every corner of the island should go green. And I want to see that in the future. The future is green. The future is green, and we have to go green because, excuse my language, but we are drowning in our own... (laughs) (laughs) But coming back to Cataclysm, we see uh, glacier melting now like we have never seen glacier melt before, and this is global warming. The fun fact about going on this trip up to the glacier is to Katla is that you are actually be able to see the global warming effect, and I point that out on the trip. So the glacier is diminishing, the oh one where the Katla Ice Cave oh. is located. Oh my god, yeah. Okay, well then, let's segue into Katla Ice Cave. I think it's for us to talk about that. Yeah. So you've been quite busy there for the last couple of years, so I guess you know the place intimately. Yeah, I actually know this area, Eyjafjöll and Glacier of Eyjafjöll, that erupted here 2010. So where is it exactly? Well, it is on the south coast of Iceland. There are two glaciers that stands there. Eyjafjallajökull is in the west, and Myrdalsjökull is the name of it in Icelandic. The glacier of Myrdal. What does it mean? Myrdal, it is a... Uh, oh, man. A swamp valley. Uh, yeah, you can say that, yeah, swamp. It's like Myri is a yeah, swamp, right? Yeah, yeah, swamp. Myrdalur is actually, is it the place where the town of Vík is located? Yes. Or is it... This is Myrdalur specifically. Yeah. So the Vík, the small town that we start our tour in, is called in a daily basis just Vík. Yeah but actually has the name Vík i Myrdal, <laughs> the strange name. In order to differentiate between this and other Víks, I, other towns that I, are called yeah, Vík in Iceland, yeah, I suppose, yeah. right? Like Reykjavík, Vík is basically a bay 
uh, and Reykjavik means the Smoky Bay. But yeah, it is Viki Myrdal and uh, that area is like Myrdal Sandur or the sand of Myrdal that is on the east side of Vik. When you drive through Vik, you come into this completely black sand. It's like driving on the moon. And this is actually the way to Katla Escape, Yeah, right? yeah, it is. I can talk you through how we start the tour and take you through the tour. Absolutely, uh, yeah. tell me all about it. So we start in Iviki Mirital. There is a habitat of about 700 people. We are actually 900 people there over the high season. So I got a question though. How far is the town from Reykjavik? It's about two and a half hours driving from Reykjavik. So it's basically from where you land on the airport in Keplavik. That takes about 45 minutes to drive to Reykjavik and then you can switch to yeah. to the road that goes down south then takes about two and a half, three hours, something y- like y- that. Yeah. yeah, it's not very far from Reykjavik actually and it actually is a beautiful drive if you go straight, but you don't want to do that. There are a couple of waterfalls on the way. That you cannot miss. That you cannot miss, no. We are a country of waterfalls. <laughs> I think we have over, what? 10,000 of those waterfalls uh, or something I, like I think nobody knows, actually, how many waterfalls we have. Because in the springtime, you are driving along a mountainside and then, oh, there is a new waterfall here. <laughs> and some that, of them are seasonal. Yeah, some of them are seasonal, actually. And every waterfall has a magic. They're so stunning. Yeah. So, yeah, we start in week and we start our meeting point is the soup company. We start there and uh, we are running in the wintertime. We are running uh, two tours per day, 9.30 and 2 o'clock tour. Then we add, over the high summer, we add another tour into it. And that is uh, usually 6 o'clock. And then we come into the night because we have (laughs) 24 hours of sunlight at that period of time. Yeah, we start there and I go over a little bit of how people are dressed, uh, shoes and so on. How should be people dressed then? Yeah, this is a good question. Uh, you should have, I always say, three layers. Good wool sweater, fleece, a rain jacket because it could rain because where we are going is a little bit remote and you're going up on a glacier so you basically are ready for anything. Uh, that's just how that is. You should have a good hiking shoes. No high heels, you're saying? No, <laughs> no, no high. By the way, I remember I used to work in Katla yeah. for like some months, and uh, I remember those uh, one time somebody popped in yeah. with the yeah. high heels, and I was yeah. like, okay, this I don't think this is going to work. <laughs> We're actually going outdoors. No, yeah, but we actually on our web page when you are going to buy the tours, we rent shoes. So we have hiking boots. If you don't have it... Okay, that's excellent to know. Also, yeah. I think we have also rain jackets yeah, and rain, rain pants yeah. on your yeah. offer as well yeah. for rental. Yeah, We've got you covered. If you don't bring your own yeah. equipment, yeah. you can just uh, let us know and you'll be provided with those yeah. on and the I, spot. And I always have an extra beanie and, and a gloves uh, in my backpack, so don't worry about that if you forget it. That's very important to have. But yeah, this is something that I do in the beginning. I go over how people are dressed. But uh, th- this is where we start the tour, and we take a super jeep uh, that has a 46 inches tires on. It's a big trucks that we drive up. I think this is one of the highlights of the tour, right? The whole ride in a super jeep. Yes. So for those of our listeners that are not maybe acquainted with the term that we just uh, bounce around so naturally, super jeep in other countries would be something that's called the monster truck. Uh, yeah. So it's just like a regular truck 
but it's modified with like higher suspension, yeah. as well as those massive wheels, you know, that's why we <laughs> say 46-inch wheels, yeah. uh, that should Shovels. get you everywhere. And I think that's uh, specifically the reason for that, is that Katla Iskave is a bit inaccessible, right, yeah. with normal cars. Yeah, especially in the winter time. You will not go in there with a normal car, no. The thing is, when you're driving in there in the summertime, we have so much ash layers, sand, that you can sink your car. And very often, this is funny, when I'm driving up there, especially in the summertime when we have the high season, I see cars stuck on the stomach in the sand. And I stop and say, why, guys, what happened? Oh, we are just turning around. (laughs) And they are stuck. And usually we give them at least a phone number to call to get them rescued out of it because we cannot do it. We cannot do it. This is, I think, would put us in trouble, actually, with the rental companies. That's the the thing. They could sue us for damaging the the car if anything like that happens. Yeah, as soon as you hook up into a car in Iceland, uh, then your insurance covers. And you never know how stuck the car is. You can damage the car really badly. And these cars are heavy and they are strong and you can just rip a car in parts. <laughs> so basically what we're saying here is we are not recommending taking your own, no. especially rental car, no, 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 up no, into no. the desert no. leading to a catalyzed cave. No, no. Uh, don't do it, guys. Take a tour. It's way more safe. And when you come up to the glacier, oh my God, that's better to have a guide. But yeah, then we drive out from town and this is about 25 kilometers trip from Vik and all the way up to the parking lot that we have very near by the glacier. And when we drive out from Vik, there is an amazing view on the way. Uh, there is an island there called Hjörleifshöfði. And we turn into the opposite way uh, to the left-hand side and we see the whole glacier. There is a 1,500 meters high and you can actually see the edge of the crater himself that is up there. Uh, This is a big crater, one of the largest one in Iceland. And this is the crater of a volcano called Katla. Katla means a a cattle. Put the cattle on. (laughs) And that's because once every now and then when all the water boils out, it starts shaking shaking and smoking. Yeah. A lot. And the flood that comes down there. And basically what we are on the trip, we are driving up the riverbed where all the water that is going to melt. There is about 900 meters of ice that is collecting inside of the crater. This is mind-blowing numbers of water that is melting down. And this comes down on Solheimajökull and also... On Katla Glacier, there is uh, one of these outbreak glaciers from the main glacier. And we call it the black ice. There is ash layers. And and you actually see the layers in the ice. There is actually what I feel very fascinating about doing these trips is the history in these layers. Because the ice keeps everything. I mean, the whole history, the weather history, the, the eruption history. And uh, you can take a sample from the ice and you can take that to the geology department on the University of Iceland and they can actually tell you which eruption uh, this uh, ash layer came from, 1625. I mean, we can go way back in time just taking one little sample of of the ash layers. That is actually a mind-blowing thing. The most fascinating about this trip that I feel it is actually driving up there into this valley because it is something that most people and even I have had Icelanders 
coming onto this trip that has never been there and they are mind blown of the beautiness of this and how rough the nature is there. It's so fascinating and it's so beautiful. Rough but stunning. Yeah, but rough but stunning. Sometimes we go on, there is an, a mountain we call Havrse, bridge that stands in the sand next to the glacier. And when the weather is beautiful, we go on the north side of that mountain and then we take the whole circle around it. When we are on the edge there, you have a beautiful view of the glacier himself, of Myrdalsjökull. And then you have a beautiful sight to Katla Glacier. There is this outbreak glacier that crawls from the main glacier. Myrdalsjökull is the fourth largest glacier on the island. So this is actually a quite a view to see. Then we come up over the sand. It takes us about 45 Yeah, about 45 minutes drive in good conditions. The whole trip is mind-blowing. So beautiful. Then you arrive at the ice cave itself, right? Let's talk about that. Yes, when we arrive, there is about 10, 15 minutes hike uh, up to the glacier. We have to go over a couple of bridges, rivers sometimes. So having a good shoes on is always a good thing. So it's rather easy. It's rather easy. I mean, I have taken 86-year-old up there. (laughs) <laughs> so, and they enjoyed it. Oh man, they were mind blowing. Kids too. Oh yeah, kids too. Is there any like uh, the lowest age that we can accept for the tour? I think it's uh, eight years old, something like that. But I have carried people on my back up there. Actually. Oh really? Yeah, 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 yeah. This Just is not a standard procedure. No, 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 no. It was actually a private tour. But they had uh, two kids, and one of them was uh, five years old, so I just put him on up top of my backpack, and I just carry him in. But he must have had a blast. Uh, he, uh, he was having a blast, yes. And usually people are yeah having a blast when they go in there, because the experience to be so close and inside of a glacier, it is something that people don't do, let's say, every day, even though I do it almost every day. But people <laughs> Few are, people do it every day. I have day, had yeah. people that are actually crying in my arms, of the beautiness, uh, the surroundings, being able to be in there because you get really humbled when you see this. And by the way, this generation that is coming up now is the last generation to be able to see glaciers. And as I always say, maybe the last generation of the glacier guides too. Yes, sadly. I get a little bit angry when I see my glaciers melting away as fast as they are doing. Because we see difference in the eyes almost between tours. That is how fast these glaciers are melting. Tell me something about the safety. How yeah. do we proceed with that? When we come up there, we have helmets on. I go over uh, safety features. You have uh, small crampons on or mini spikes, like we want to uh, call it. We are using mini spikes. And I go very deeply into safety. People have to stay always constantly close to me, have me in in the site. I am an old rescuer and my safety standards and the standards of the company are very high there. There is uh, lots of things to be aware of when you are in an area like this. And that's why it is better to have an experienced guide to be there. Because also, remember, when you're standing next to a glacier or on a glacier, the weather can change really, really quickly. And then you better know what to do when that happens. Or have somebody that knows to do with you, like yeah. yourself. Oh, yeah. So best to do it with the tour guide. Yeah, tour guide, I would recommend it. Also, you get all the information about the glacier, how the glacier is behaving, uh, how it was back in time and so on. Lots of information that we give to people when they go up there. So, yeah, definitely.
Understanding views and possible vistas inside the ice cave and outside of it, photographer's paradise, correct? Oh my, <laughs> yeah, the photograph, yeah. yeah. I mean, the photos that we have, take your camera with you. And the ice cave is changing as well seasonally, isn't it? Yeah, I so mean... So it's not always the same ice cave, actually. No, 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 it's no, a no, series no. of ice caves that uh, we explore. Yeah, the thing is, uh, one of the job that we have there, being a glacier guide or ice cave guide in Katla, is that we are constantly walking the glacier, finding caves, because uh, they are melting really, really fast. We have to be on, on the toes to find ice caves, and they are melting fast, like I said, and so we have to. I think the one that we take people to right now is like a third or a fourth iteration. I yeah. remember I used to go to the first one that was there, yeah. it was discovered yeah. at, uh, when the operation has started. Mm. Then I remember it was another one next to it. Now it's a yet another one. Mm. So they melt out yeah. and then another one's come up. Yeah. And so that's how it goes. Yeah. And the fun part to be a glacier guide there going into this ice cave is actually to see how this is happening and how the glacier and the area is changing because no day is the same. We never know what to expect when we come up there. That is how fast this is changing. There is not very often that we cancel to there. And we always yeah. go. <laughs> and for those of listeners that maybe have been already in an ice cave or maybe have been in, even in a ice cave already once, we can guarantee that if you go again, uh, this is probably not going to be the same ice cave. Nope. So it's always going to be a different tour. Yeah. So if you come up to Iceland on vacation again and again, you know, you can keep on exploring the same area and finding new places to yeah, yeah. to play. Yeah. 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 It's yeah. beautiful nature uh, wonderland. Yeah, it's a wonderland. And I very often I tell people that when they are coming again and again and again, find a spot and take picture. And then when you come back, do it again and see how different the area, even the season, winter, summer, fall, spring. I mean, it's always different. It's always different. Okay, uh, well, thank you very much for filling us in, Svenny. It was a pleasure to talk to you, and I hope to have you back on board for the podcast in the future. Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm always ready. And for those of our listeners who'd like to book this incredible experience with us, head over to troll.is, that is T-R-O-L-L dot I-S, and you'll find it under the tab that says Ice Caves. And do it before the glaciers melt away completely, <laughs> right? Yeah. So, yeah. you know, maybe last generations of people see it. Well, thank you for tuning in and enjoy your vacation in Iceland. Thank you very much again, Svenny. My pleasure. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.